First Thessalonians four. Twenty seconds. That deals with Second Thessalonians one two. If you want to, yeah. All right. Quiet on the set. Just tell me so you don't step on me. Okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Arise to Truth. My name is Wesley Simons, and I preach for the Stony Creek Church of Christ in Elizabethton, Tennessee. I'm Eddie Kraft. I'm the co-director of the Tri-City School of Preaching, Christian Development here in beautiful Elizabethton, Tennessee. My name is Ethan Tate. I'm the preacher at the Red Oak Church of Christ in Weaverville, North Carolina, and a third-year student here at the Tri-City School of Preaching. My name is Dan Fraley. I'm from Elkhorn City, Kentucky, and I preach at the Joe's Creek Church of Christ in Pikeville, Kentucky. I'm Elton Mathers, Dean of Crickham at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development and the preacher at the Mount Olivet Church of Christ in Greenville, Tennessee. Did you notice that, ladies and gentlemen? We have three different states represented here on the panel, Tennessee, Kentucky, and North Carolina. And we hope we have many states represented out there in the listening audience, as well as many foreign countries. Thank you for tuning in to Arise to Truth, the Tuesday edition. And we hope that you'll make it a practice each Tuesday and Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. to be a part of our listening audience. Now, why not go get your Bible, if you can, and pencil and paper, and for the next one hour, study with us the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God. Now, as you go to get that Bible, stop by the telephone. Call a friend, a loved one, and tell them that the Arise to Truth radio program is on the air. Now, if they're local, we're 690 on your AM dial, 93.3 on your FM dial. But if your friend, your loved one, is outside the state outside the country then tell them to get on the internet type in arise to truth.com when our web page comes up click on the banner listen live here and they've got us oh by the way tell them they can be a part of our program by calling 512-9226 512-9226 and since they will be out of town out of country out of state and so forth, tell them they're going to have to dial that area code, which is 423, then 512-9226. So we hope that you will choose to be a part of the program as we say this is your program, and we'll be glad to go where you want to go, study what you want to study. Now, as I said to one of our callers, we're not into arguing and wrangling over things. We don't want to do that. Now, we don't mind you presenting the opposing view and giving book, chapter, and verse. And we'll be glad to deal with the issue. Arise to truth. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, Wesley, before you get into your topic today, I just wanted to ask you a question. Uh, Bill Haywood was uh, heading up for that casino. Did that thing ever pass, or what was the result on that? Bill Haywood, Bill Haywood was going where? With the uh, with the casino, did that vote pass? You guys oh, that or? oh, okay. All right, we'll we'll comment on that. Okay. Oh no, I was just I was just curious, but that wasn't why I actually called. I was just why I had you on the phone. Oh well, I think I think 
originally they kind of voted it down, but I think it's back up in the air to some degree now. And Christians need to take a good stand and concern citizens and make sure that thing does not pass. Right, good, I got you. And then also, actually, what I called, was instead of, uh, you know, with my Bible studies with you guys, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then your Wednesday night classes that I watch in the archive, uh, what Bible commentary, I know we're supposed to take it with a grain of salt, but what Bible commentary person would you recommend in, the, in your studies uh, outside, you know, somebody who has uh, tried to get a deeper and fuller understanding, you know, not being persuaded, you know, doctrinally, you know, falsely, you know what I mean? Well, it, it uh, would, yes, it would vary. It would vary on the uh, book you're studying. Uh, for instance, a lot of Guy Wood's commentaries, I definitely recommend all of them. The Gospel Advocate series. Now, here's a series I'm going to recommend, but you got to, Take it with a grain of salt, as you do all commentaries, college press, uh, because they might promote the concept of using mechanical instruments of music. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure they would. But anyway, they're pretty good, especially in the Old Testament. Bob Winton. Yeah, Bob Winton. Very good, Eddie. Bob Winton's commentaries. They're very good. You can probably type in Bob Winton's name. Eddie and I was privileged to go to school with Bob. And he I think he's got a commentary on every book of the Bible. Yes. I think we're close to it. Okay. Bob Winton. Bob Winton. W-I-N-T-O-N. Okay. So, okay. So, my, my thing is like uh, the gospel. So, he's, he'd be good in the gospels too? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand. Yes. Yep. They say yes. Good and thank you guys, spirit. I appreciate it. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Bye. Yeah, he was asking, would he be good in the Gospels, too? And the answer, of course, is Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it depends on, if you're talking about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if that's what he meant, boy, you can't beat Guy Woods on John. A great book. And it just depends on the book a lot of times that you're studying who one might consider to be the best commentator. So that's a matter of opinion. But first and foremost, and I know he believes this, let the Bible be its own best commentary. That's what we recommend. All right, we appreciate that phone call. We certainly do. And Bill Haywood is fighting hard on the casino issue still yet and trying to get all the help that he can get. And we appreciate that. And we're always glad to help Bill in that endeavor. Now, it looked like it died down for a while, and it might have been defeated, and now it's trying to bubble back up to the top because we got people trying to tell the officials in Bristol, oh, it's going to bring in all kinds of money and jobs, and I'm afraid they're falling for it. Arise to truth on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes, sir. Uh, Wesley, um, can you tell me? Where in the Proverbs it is, uh, the scripture says, a merry heart with good like a medicine. Okay. Can you give me the reference on that, brother? We'll look it up and give it to you, okay? Uh, Thanks, brother. Thank you. Bye. And I believe that. I tell you what, if a man's happy, he's going to feel better. He's going to have better health and so forth. Gentlemen, have either one of you found that yet? 
Uh, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Uh, that's in uh, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 13. Proverbs fifteen, thirteen. All right. Let's get into our study today, fellas. What we were going to introduce is a study of Second Thessalonians, and we're going to look at chapter 1. Now, let's get into a little background. You know, the Bible says in Acts seventeen eleven that the people of Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Well, let me say this. If the people at Berea needed to check on the apostles, boy, you better check on us. And you better check on anybody that claims to be speaking in the name of the Lord and make sure they're giving you book, chapter, and verse. Now, friends, somebody's lying. Now, they may be honestly lying to you. Now, what I mean by that, they may be sincere, believing they're right, but all these churches can't be right. You can have 50 plans of salvation and all of them be right. Somebody's not going by the book. All right? I made the point about Berea to say this. You can search your Bible from now till the Lord comes back. And you're not going to find one epistle written to the Bereans. But even though the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, that doesn't mean all of them in Thessalonica. Some of them were honest. Some of them were sincere. And some of them became members of the body of Christ. And so Paul writes two epistles to the brethren at Thessalonica. And he starts the second one. Well, before I tell you that, let me say this. The problems in the first epistle seem to be still going on to some degree. Now, what I mean by that, they were confused about the second coming. Well, you're going to find a lot of information in the second epistle about the second coming. Still trying to help them. They were being persecuted. Well, you're going to find information in the second epistle about being persecuted and being faithful. Not only that, they were so confused about the second coming, they thought it was right at hand, and some of them had quit work. Well, Paul writes and says, you need to go back to work. And even encourages the church, if they don't work, neither should they eat. And not only that, take a stand against them. Now, I wish America would learn that principle, that if a fellow's not going to work, he shouldn't eat. I know from doing this radio program and going to people's homes, people on welfare, and I've even told them what you need to do is get off welfare and go to work. Well, I can't make the kind of money out there working I'm getting off welfare. Well, friends, to me, that's stealing. You're able to work, but you won't work, and you want somebody else to keep you up. That's hogwash. Now, as we look at verse 1 of chapter 1, the Bible says, Paul and Sylvanus. Now, I want you to notice it's Paul and Silas now, not Paul and Barnabas. If you remember in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas got into it, overtaking John Mark on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas was for it. Paul wasn't. And it appears later that Paul definitely endorses Barnabas 
which kind of indicates that maybe Paul had misjudged him a little bit. But you know what came out of that? Two great missionary journeys. And that's the way brethren ought to work together. So Paul and Sabanius and Timothy, under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, the church is said to be in God. The church is said to be in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches we're in the Godhead, and the Godhead is in us. And a lot of people get totally confused about that concept. And they become Holy Spirit intoxicated because they found a verse somewhere that says the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Well, he certainly does. But the Bible says the Father does and says the Son does. But what they're looking for is something, oh, miraculous, something mysterious. And these denominational preachers use that, run with it, and lead people astray left and right. You know, Wesley, they do. And the Bible tells us in the 7th chapter of Matthew in verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. That's right. If you listen to the radio program and watch the television, I ask the question, who are these false teachers? And where, That's right. Where, where are, are they? they? Arise the truth on the air. Go ahead, please. I, I do have a, a small question and a comment. You know, sometimes to get God to go out and do us, to do his will, and for men, it's, he's to do that. Uh, you know, just like when they stoned Stephen, you know, they all separated and went out and went to preach him. Uh, and you know, like Paul and the two men you, the two men there you talked about, we got two good ministers out of them. And I agree with that. But my question is this, and I heard a man pre- uh, preaching the other day that music was a sin. If you listened to me- mechanical music, it was a sin. And if you uh, sung with mechanical music, it was a sin. But now I have read this. And I really want to know an answer to this, if you know it. I've heard that he has cast everything out of heaven and read it that did offend him. Okay, now, under the law, I've heard about them having musical instruments. I've also read where they had harps and trumps in heaven. But here we are under grace, and they say that mechanical music is a sin, and I'd really like to know an answer on that. And I'll hang up and listen to you. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, number one, is it sinful to sing a secular song with mechanical instruments of music? Absolutely not. You mean to tell me I can't sing with my granddaughter or some little child? Old MacDonald had a farm and play an instrument. If I could play one, I can't play one. Not a thing wrong with that whatsoever. Now, I don't care whether it's vocal or whether it's vocal and mechanical. If you're singing a song that's got ungodly lyrics in it, it's wrong. Whether you're playing it on a piano or singing it. And a lot of these songs, if you listen to them, they got cuss words in them and everything else. Well, I don't care where you whistle them, hum them, or what you do with them. They're sinful. And we don't need to be involved in that kind of thing. Now, was everything that offended God cast out of heaven? Well, Satan was cast out of heaven, and that which is pure is in heaven. But why would we conclude that mechanical instruments of music would be that which needed to be cast out of heaven as such because it was unpure? 
Well, I want you to notice that it was commanded, mechanical instruments of music, the use thereof in the Old Testament. Now, fellas, I wrote down a verse, and I believe it's right, Second Chronicles twenty nine twenty five. If one of you got it, read it. And, the, and he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. We could throw in Psalm 150. And there you got it authorized again. Now here's my point. If God wants mechanical instruments of music, he knows how to ask for it. He did it in the Old Testament. Now, what we're trying to say is, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In spirit means i got to have the right attitude from the heart. In truth means I do it God's way. Every time in the New Testament, it's sing, 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 and then God says, whatsoever I command you, don't add to nor take from it. All you got to do is just envision the Simon Says game and get some little kids in front of you in a toy piano and say, now look, children, you can only do what Simon says. If you do more or less, you're out of the game. Simon Says Sing. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to sing. Simon says, play the piano. What do you think they're going to do? Play the piano. Simon says, sing and play the piano. What do you think they're going to do? Both of them. Now, what if Simon says, sing, and they sing and play the piano? Well, according to the rules of the game, they're out. Well, that's the Word of God, friends. It's the authority principle. God says, sing. And then in the New Testament, he says, whatsoever you do, you don't add to or take from the Word of God. You do it in the name of the Lord. Now, gentlemen, y'all might have comments. Uh, I just have one comment. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. So that is a reference to the works of the Old Testament law and the faith that we are under now. And so the New Testament commands to sing and Ethan, I believe that's what we're supposed to do. That's right, Dan. And it says, if you try to be justified by the old law, ye are fallen from grace. Galatians 5.4. Now, I realize some people don't think you can fall from grace, but you better take the wording of the Word of God. It says you can. You know, Wesley, as well, when it says in Ephesians 5.19 that we're to speak to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, a lot of people would go to that verse and say, well, it doesn't say that we can't use musical instruments. Well, you know, that's funny. I don't have to prove that you're allowed to or that you can't. I can see from the verse that it tells me that I am to sing. But now it's the person who's building the argument saying that it's for me to prove that it's incorrect. You have to prove to me where God says that it's authorized. That's it. And it's all because it's not in there. It's an argument from silence. That's and we right. have to obey that kind of authority as well. You know, I can make the same argument on Matthew nineteen nine. Well, it doesn't say a man can't marry a man. And it doesn't say a woman can't marry a woman. Sure it does. When God authorizes uh, a marriage is a man and a woman. And then he says, don't add to or take from my word. Well, that's what he means. And same way with baptism. Well, it doesn't say you can't sprinkle babies. 
Well, it says you got to do certain things before you can be baptized. You got to believe, repent, confess, and then you're baptized. Arise to truth on the air. Go ahead, please. I've, I've read in Matthew that he said that uh, in the beginning he created them, male and female. And for this cause, a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to thy wife. Well, I've also read over in Leviticus that I believe it's probably the 18th chapter. I don't have my Bible with me. If I did, I'd pull over and look it up. But I believe it's in the 18th chapter of Leviticus where it says that man shall not lie with mankind, that that is an abomination. And it goes on down talking about the women lying with women and with beasts. That's also an abomination, and they were stoned to death for those things. So that's the only comment I've got. Okay, thank you. Now, I want you to notice, he went to Matthew 19, 5 and 6. Of course, that's also found in Genesis 2, that he made a male and female. Well, that's right. Well, since he made a male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave to his wife. A man leaves, a man cleaves to his wife. Now, there's Bible authority. Now, give me Bible authority for a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman. Now, we're back to Ethan's argument. He says, it's not for us to disprove the use of mechanical instruments of music. It's for the party that says it's okay for this, the Christian age, to produce the verse that says that. And they don't have one. No, not one. That's right. Milton, did you have something? I was just going to make reference of the other reference in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Notice, let the word of God dwell in you. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. So there's the Bible authority there. If we have Christ's word dwelling in us, that's his authority. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. So uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's his authority to do what? Uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we do those things because of Bible authority. They uh, they use mechanical instruments music with no Bible authority. There's not a scripture one to uh, prove their case. Just the opposite is the case. Well, you know, guys, too, <laughs> relative to heaven, there's not mechanical instrument music, uh, music in heaven. There's not even flesh and blood in heaven. That's right. That's figurative language. Yes. So when it talks about harpers harping as on harps, not literal harps. Because when we go, if we're blessed enough to go to heaven when this life is over, guess what? It will not be flesh and blood. This body's got to put on an eternal body. And so it's a misnomer to think that literal instruments of music were left in heaven. Therefore, they must be all right. There's no marriage nor given in marriage in heaven. But we can't say in the church there's no marriage nor given in marriage. That's right. So sometimes we, we might take a book that's used uh, that sig- uh, figurative language, apocalyptic in nature, and try to make that literal. There was some guy I heard one time say that uh, everything in the book of Revelation should be interpreted literally. And I thought, that's got to be close to the dumbest statement I ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, a bottomless pit? You know, how are you going to have a bottomless pit and things like that? Yeah, dragons and other things. That's right. Arise the truth you're on the air. Go ahead, please. I do have a brief comment about God dwelling in us. 
you know, in the beginning, he said the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And through that Word, if His Word dwells in us, and through His Word, God is dwelling in us through the Word that we have studied, believed, and can confirm. That's right. So if God lives in us, it's through His given Word that there's, it's perfect. There's no flaw in it. So if we serve Him through His Word, in that way God is dwelling in us through His Word. Okay, thank you. Now, I would word that a little bit differently because if an atheist reads the Bible and has it memorized, I would contend God doesn't dwell in him the way the Bible teaches that God dwells in the child of God. But now, the the caller came back and mentioned the concept of obedience. So when one obeys because of the word... Then he builds a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then they take their abode within one, and we take our abode within them. So I'd word it a little bit differently, but his concept basically is correct. I think, too, John 9 uh, summed it up pretty nicely, uh, if the caller wants to look at that. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. And so that's, you know, if you think about yes. what the caller meant by that. I that's right, Second John 9 through 11. Boy, those are wonderful verses teaching the concept of the Godhead abiding in us and us maintaining a good relationship with the Godhead. Well, the number is 512-9226. We've already had several calls. I don't think we've had yours, so we're waiting on you. So call and ask your Bible question or make your comment. Now, gentlemen, before we go on with Thessalonians, y'all have any more comments at all on anything that was called in? Um, I do want to bring to mind again the caller about music. Now, I would presuppose that we're talking about in the worship assembly. We're not talking about just in general all instrumental music is wrong. We're looking at the intention. When it falls within the category of worship, then yeah, the Bible does speak very clearly on that. But then again, when we're looking outside of worship, I would hope that we have that presupposition in place. So not to confuse anyone who's saying that all instrumental music is sinful. That's not the case. All right, we're back to Second Thessalonians. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, you can't have peace, true peace, that passeth all understanding without God's grace. A person that goes and lays his head down tonight, that's not a person that's covered by the grace of God, can't do that with total peace. Knowing that if I take my last breath tonight, I'll be all right in all eternity. So then, the wonderful grace of God is the means by which we're saved. Peace is a byproduct of that. Now, God's grace is the part he's done in that he came up with the scheme of redemption, the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ and his blood, the church, the Bible, all the wonderful things God has done for us, given us a good sound mind, 
then it's our responsibility when God reaches down to heaven, as it were, for us to reach up and take his hand. That's called obedience. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, and the religious world cannot stand the concept of obey, do, or work in any way. They see that word work, and that word work is filthy to them every time they see it. But the Bible says that we're to work the works of God. And if we don't work the works of God, then we cannot be God's people. Wesley, belief itself is a work according to John six twenty nine. It sure is. And so how must we, what must we do that we might work the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God that you believe. Arise the truth. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. I do have a brief comment about the work. I know people says works is nothing. And they say that if you just believe, that's all you need. But, you know, God didn't call us to salvation only. He called us into service. And we're to serve him as servants. And I believe if you're a Christian, you don't work to be saved. You work the work of a servant because that's what he tells us to do. He told the apostles, he said, if you'll not believe in me for who I say I am, believe in me for the very work's sake. Well, when you come over to the uh, 12th chapter of Revelations, and I do wish I had my Bible with me, but he said, uh, the small and great stood before him. You know, this is in judgment. And he said, the book's open. You know, we have the book of life. In Malachi, we read about one that's made of our life that thought often of his name. I believe somewhere somebody's taken down everything we say and do. You know, Moses wrote a book of the law and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. He told them that it would judge them in the last days, or it could be a witness for them. Christ, when we have the Lord's Supper, he said this is dedicated in the New Testament of his blood, you know. So these books, it's going to be opened. We're going to be judged according to our works done out of those books. That's in the 20th chapter of Revelation. It starts at verse 12 down to 15, I believe. And it said, and the books were opened. And every man was judged according to his works out of the book. So I'd like to hear what you, your opinion on that. Okay, thank you. Well, I don't think there's a big opinion on it. He told the truth about it. Mm-hmm. We're going to be judged according to what's written in the Bible. According to our works. Yeah. And according to what we have done in this body. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10. So, friends, don't tell me it doesn't matter what you do. How come one thief on the cross was saved, the other lost? One did something, one did not do something. How come the majority of people are going down the broad way and the few the narrow way? Because the few did what God wanted done. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, Matthew seven twenty one. here we are on radio trying to encourage people to do God's will. And the religious world looks at us as the bad guys. Can you believe that? Because we say you got to do, you got to work, you got to obey. You got to work the plan of God. And if you don't work God's plan, then don't plan to go to heaven. Now that's what it amounts to. These people out here that comes up with their own plan of salvation. Uh, Let me ask you this. 
You know, the the devil has his church now, the, the church of Satan. It doesn't matter what you do, what you believe, the works you do. Would it be all right for me to be a member of the church of Satan? Or will I be judged according to my works? I'm going to be judged according to my works based on what the Word of God says. Gentlemen? Yeah, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul mentions that <clears throat> word also, and he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's something we need to do, a work to do, in order to be saved, to hear. It takes a lot of work to hear the Word of God, to believe who Jesus Christ is, to repent of our sins, to confess Him before witnesses, be baptized. All those are a work that we need to do in order to acquire salvation. So work is pretty important, I think. And Milton, the, I'm sorry, the, the comment that you just made of that verse, that verse even means work unto completion. That's yeah. right. And so there's yeah. work that you continuously have to do. And then that is echoed again in Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 9, wherefore we labor, that institutes work, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, I would add to that as well, Dan. If you look in First Thessalonians chapter three or verse three, chapter one, verse three, it would say that Paul would remember without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love. You can't say that you can be an obedient Christian and not have works of faith and labor of love. It requires work, diligent work. But as Dan said correctly, it's a continuing work until you leave this earth. You know, if you go to Matthew 25, we have three stories there, three parables basically. You got the parable of the ten virgins, five saved, five lost. Notice they're in the kingdom. That's where they needed to be. Notice they're said to be virgins, pure. That's what they ought to be. But I want you to notice five remain faithful. That's what they must be. And five was found unprepared what they shouldn't have been. So you see then it made a difference on going to heaven or hell based on preparation. Then you got the one talent man. The man with five doubled his, the man with two doubled his, and the man with one talent chose not to work. He chose to bury his. He is lost. Then you got the Lord saying, I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. And they said, well, Lord, wait a minute. When did we see you like this? He said, when you did it to the least of one of these, your brethren, you did it to me. Then he named those same things again and condemned people to hell because they didn't do them. Because they didn't do them. Did you get that? They said, Lord, when did we fail to do this unto these? He said, when you fail to do it unto the least of one of these, your brethren, you fail to do it to me. Now, you mean to tell me that whole chapter given by our Lord, was wasted energy, time, that it really doesn't mean what it says? You better believe it means what it says. I think the problem comes in, uh, fellas, when people misunderstand works. There are different kinds of works. Absolutely. And the denominational world throws them all in the same pot. 
There's works of the law of Moses. There's works of patriarchy. There's the works of the New Testament. There's works of righteousness. There's the works of the flesh. Works of merit. The works of merit. And all of these. You see, the works that are condemned are condemned, but not all works are condemned. If you think so, you'll know better to judgment. That's right. Because, like you said, we'll be judged by our works. But the Bible talks about works that are acceptable. What are they? They're works of righteousness. Now, those works of righteousness are not works of righteousness which we've done. We didn't come up with them. Now, that's what Isaiah condemns when he says, Your righteousness, yours, is as filthy rags. But Paul, in writing to Titus, says, Not works of righteousness which we have done. It's not works of righteousness that we've come up with. When I do what God says for me to do, I'm working righteousness, but that's not works of righteousness I've done. I didn't come up with that. When I hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, and so forth, I didn't come up with that. Now, if I can be saved by saying the sinner's prayer, that's works of righteousness I've done. You won't read about that in the Bible. That's something I come up with. That's right. If I could be saved by going to a mourner's bench, then that's works of righteousness that I've done. If I could be justified by that kind of righteousness then mine's just as good as what God gives in his word. If I could be saved by grace only, or faith only, or baptism only, or any of the other onlys. Or the church of your choice. Only, yeah, or church of your choice. Those are works of righteousness that we've done. In other words, we come up with them. You don't read about that in the Bible, or as our caller suggested earlier. When we do what the word of God says do from the heart, that's God dwelling in us. And when we do things that God does not authorize... And call it the word of God. Those are works, but they're works of righteousness. And if I could be saved by inventing my own plan of salvation, that would be works of merit. You see, then I can earn and deserve my salvation. But since I can't, I just simply do what God asked me to do. And when I do that, guess what? I'm still an unprofitable servant. That's it. As Luke 17 says, I've only done that which was my duty to do. And so when I do what God says, that's not works of my own righteousness you know paul made it clear in romans 1 16 17 i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it the gospel of christ is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believeth unto the jew first and also unto the greek now watch this next statement for therein that's in the gospel is the righteousness of god not works of righteousness i've done but the works of god the righteousness of god revealed from faith that's an individual's faith to faith that's the faith of the gospel system from one faith to the other, the faith system builds my personal individual faith. And so when we do that, we are justified by the faith system. And that's not of ourselves. That is a gift given to us from God. We didn't come up with it. Eddie, I was thinking the other day as I was taking a shower. Yes, Ed, I do take a shower. Uh, you would never know it. <laughs> <laughs> as I was taking a shower. Sunday morning, and I was thinking about being able to come down and worship the true and living God. And and I was thinking about the Lord's Supper and the privilege to partake of the Lord's Supper. Remember the death of our Lord. I got to thinking, why? Why the death of Christ? Why was that the only thing that would appease God? Then I got to thinking, anything else would have been us doing it. You think about that, friends. If he'd have said, dig a hole a mile deep and you'll be saved, that's me doing it. See, it took Jesus Christ, his blood to save us. Arise the truth, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes, I'm just uh, thinking about what 
Jesus told John the Baptist, how do we fulfill all righteousness? That's right. That's right. to be so. Baptize me, man. Yep. Yep. We got to do the commandments of God. Amen, brother. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, somebody look up Psalm 119, 172. You know, when Jesus came to John the Baptist desiring to be baptized, John had observed his life and said, I have need to be baptized of thee. Jesus said, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, the caller brought up a good point. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? Somebody read that verse. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. All thy commandments are righteousness. What are you saying, Lord? The Lord saying, My heavenly Father commanded it, and I'm going to do it. Now, you think about that. That's the kind of love that Jesus Christ had for his Father. He said, I came not to do my will, but my Father's will. Friends, we're trying to sell you on doing God's will. Right. Not our will, God's will. Seek ye first, Wesley, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's right. That's how God makes men right with himself. See, i got to seek God's righteousness. When I seek my righteousness, the sinner's prayer, the, uh, one church is good as another, God, uh, man-made doctrines over God's commandments, then I'm not seeking God's righteousness, I'm seeking mine. Friends, we're trying to save you on God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, Bible authority, the church of the Bible, the plan of salvation of the Bible, the worship system of the Bible, the moral code of the Bible. We're trying to sell you totally on God. And then if you listen to these denominational preachers that respond to us every now and then, you'd think we're the worst enemies that God has ever had. Now, Wesley, I would say so as well. We really need to question ourselves whenever we're coming to worship service. Are we actually coming to praise and worship Almighty God who reigns in heaven in the realm of eternity? Or do I find myself coming to services anymore so that I can hear that great speaker, that I can go and get that entertainment uh, uh, fix that I've been looking for? Or is it just because they have so many work programs that I can be a part of? I just get to fill my social circle. That's establishing your own righteousness right there because you're trying to go worship God who isn't God. You're either worshiping the preacher or you're worshiping entertainment. You're worshiping a social clique. And we have to be very careful about that. Are we truly coming before God's throne because he's God or because we just need something to fill our time? That's right. Now I want to read the next two verses. And I want you to notice it took effort on the brethren, on the part of the brethren at Thessalonica, to demonstrate what Paul's going to comment on. Watch it. This is verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 1. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. How do you know that? How do you observe that? And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. How did he know that? How did he observe that? Verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience, that steadfastness, and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. What if they didn't endure them? Does it matter? 
you see, does it matter that they worked a faith so strongly that they could undergo all that persecution and tribulation? Does it really matter? Gentlemen, it makes a difference. Wesley, it's not where you're winning or losing in the middle of the race. It's who finishes it first. That's right. And, you know, that wins. Uh, a baseball team may be behind. I was going to bed at night with my my winning team ahead 10 to 2 just to wake up the next morning to find out they got beat 15 to 10. It's not who scores first or how many times you score, who's, who scores the most when the game's over. That's endurance. You fight under the end. Now, though Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew twenty four thirteen, the principle's the same. He that endureth under the end, the same shall be saved. That's right. And the same thing is true in Revelation two ten. Be faithful unto death. And he that runs a race runs all. Now, the beautiful thing about this race, it don't matter who finishes first. If you finish, you win. Okay. We all get to win this race, but we got to finish. And that's why Paul said, I buffet my body and bring it under subjection. After I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So we got to endure, and this is not always easy, because as he said here, they were going through persecution. They were going through immense tribulation. And yet, he says, we recognize, we take note of the fact that your patience and faith in your persecution and tribulation that you endure. So whatever persecution, whatever tribulation they were facing, they passed that test. That had to have, fellas, a tremendous, making tremendous impact on the people that watched it. Could you imagine if we'd have been in the, under the Roman government and we watched Christians being lit up at night by a Roman emperor and they're singing praises to God? What an impact would that make on our lives? To listen to Paul and Silas in stocks and bonds at midnight singing praises and praying to God. What an impact would that make on our lives? I'm confident that Stephen, as Saul of Tarsus at that time, watched him be put to death, made such an impact on his life. Over later, he quotes him and says that God dwelleth not in the temples made with hands. Well, how did he know that? One reason he knew it, he heard Stephen say it. That's right. And therefore, what an impact to watch Stephen dying, being stoned to death, saying, lay not this sin to their charge. Or Jesus on Calvary's cross saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what to do. Not acting like the world acts under persecution and tribulation, but acting like a Christian should act under that kind of persecution. You know, Eddie, I would say so as well. Two of the most encouraging books when it comes to enduring persecution. Second Corinthians, fantastic book, mm-hmm. the God of all comfort. Um, but also the book of Revelation. Time and time and time again, God is showing the first century Christians. Now look, I know the persecution you're going through. But if you read these things, you hear these things, and you understand the things that are written in this book, you'll be blessed. And he even tells them in chapter 21 and verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. How do you overcome persecution? You have to go through it. Now, with that in mind, if we could go through some of the things that were written in Hebrews chapter 11, that it would say in... um, Verse 34, those that quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, and turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. If we're not standing up for our faith and standing through tribulation, then guess what? where we're not going to be standing come Judgment Day. We ain't going to be going into heaven. That's right. Dan? Yeah, so I was just thinking during that whole uh, dialogue of Eddie and Ethan's, you have verse 2, 
They had God's grace in persecution. They had God's peace in persecution. So we can automatically know that even when we face the tribulation and persecution that we're talking about, we still have God's grace and we still have that peace of mind that we have that salvation. And not only that, but verse 3 says, Because that your faith groweth exceedingly. You ask the question, how did they know that their faith was growing exceedingly? You go back to verses like Luke chapter 5 and verse 20, uh, when they were luring the man down through the ceiling. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Uh, faith is something to be seen. And so that's, that's right. how people judge that, and that's how people measure that. You, you know, uh, let me make this comment, Milton. You can jump in. You know, James says, Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith with my works. Mm-hmm. The only way you can show faith is with works. You know, it, it doesn't do any good if somebody comes to the door here of the church building and says, man, I'm starved to death. Any way in the world you can help me, my wife, and our children? I say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. That's one thing about about us here at the Church of Christ. We try to help people. I want to hug you and have a prayer with you, and you go on your way. Be warm and filled. That won't work. That will not work. For me to demonstrate my faith when somebody legitimately needs help, I furnish the help, according to the Word of God, Milton. Just like here at the Tri-City School of Preaching, we have a new con- fairly new converts come in to, as students. And boy, do, does their faith grow. How does it grow? Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the Word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And they get a lot of Word of God here at the Tri-City School of Preaching, just like uh, us instructors who went through the same courses as well that we didn't know hardly any Bible and still don't know it like we should. Uh, when you have to memorize verses, do assignments from the Word of God, I guarantee you, your faith's going to grow. So we uh, challenge anybody. And also, coming up in August, when our new curriculum comes about, if you want to come to Tri-City School of Preaching, that your faith will grow like the Thessalonians, it will grow because you have to do the assignments and memorize God's Word. You'll have to study it. Just like Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth, right? The dividing the word of truth or cutting straight. The Greek says, your faith's going to grow. And this was the Thessalonians brethren; their faith was growing exceedingly because of the word of God. They believed it, trusted on it, acted upon it, and it was obedient to it. And they were studying it and challenged by it. And their faith grew, and ours can too, and so can yours. You know, uh, Milton mentioned our new quarter starting in August. We'd love for you to come. You know what we're going to charge you for that? Absolutely nothing. Now, we can't give you a discount, but we won't charge you anything. Now, it will cost you. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want to leave the wrong impression. Sweat and blood. Studying. Reading the Word of God. Memorizing the Word of God. Now, if you want to know the Bible, come and be with us. We don't charge for it. We do not ask for money on this radio program. We operate by faith. But it's got to be faith that's based on the Word of God. Where brethren give on the first day of the week as they've been prospered. First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And good, sound brethren that love the truth keep this radio program on the air. It has for over 30-some-odd years. 
And you know how many times we miss paying WZAP? Not one time because of God's plan. We don't get on here crying, oh, if you don't send money, brethren, I'm telling you, we're going to have to go off the air. Now, we don't do that because God's got a plan, and we're working his plan, and we believe in him, and we trust him. Now, there's nothing better than to do it God's way. Now, as we look at verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. A couple of things I want to bring out. When we are persecuted, the Lord takes that personally. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? We need to understand that. It's a personal thing with God when you pick on his people. See, we got somebody on our side, and that is he who is greater than Satan and all the demons of hell. But I want you to notice we may have to suffer for the kingdom and be counted worthy to do that. What do you know? Christ suffered to set up the kingdom. He died on Calvary's cross that the kingdom would be a reality. And you mean to tell me when it comes my time to fess up to being a child of God rather than being persecuted at all, I just deny the Lord. By the way, if there's no work involved, I don't have to confess him. But the Bible says if I deny him, he will deny me. Mm -hmm. That's a work I got to do. And it's a work that God appointed for me to do. It is a work that I'm counted worthy to do based on what this verse tells me. And Wesley, that uh, when it says manifest token, I looked that up, the Greek word there, and the King James says evident, New King James, evidence. God demands proof. He doesn't want you to take faith as a blind leap out in the dark. Yes. So when he says this is a manifest token, he's saying this is the proof or the evidence of the righteousness of God that ye may be counted worthy. So it wasn't they were going along just guessing and hoping that they were going to be accounted worthy of the kingdom of God. So you see, you're made worthy of the kingdom of God, not based upon what you did, but what he did for you. Now, that still means you've got to do something. You've got to do what he asked you to do. That goes on in the text a little bit later. So you've got to be persistent. But here it talks about the manifest token, the evidence, the proof of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy. You may be counted worthy. It's an amazing thing to me, as Philippians teaches, I can stand before God at the day of judgment blameless, though in factuality I were to be blamed. Mm -hmm. It's not counted against me. Why is that the case? Because Jesus Christ, righteous judgment that I'm counted worthy. Some people don't even believe the kingdom of God is in existence today. And he said that's the reason for which you suffer. How can you suffer for something that doesn't even exist? And won't exist till Jesus comes again. And so they're worthy based on the fact of the righteous judgment of God. And that's proof of it is what he's done for us. And therefore, we can endure tribulation because of the fact that we understand what's going on. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith's not a blind leap in the dark. You know, I would say so as well. It's, it's almost like a, a cycle. If it's impossible to please God without faith, Hebrews 11, verse 6, 
I think it's awesome that God has already given us the proof. But then once we come to a knowledge of that proof, we have to prove ourselves to God. And it works that way. It's always worked that way since the beginning of time. Acts 10 is a perfect chapter for that. Uh, Acts chapter 10, if you read the whole chapter and put it into context, you get down to verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That's exactly right. In Philippians one twenty-eight, Paul says this, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't you be terrified by your adversaries. Which is to them an evident token of perdition. That is evidence to them of perdition. You're fixing to give up. You're fixing to give in. But to you of salvation, you have made up your mind you're going to take a stand in that of God. You're trusting God. You know, Paul said on one occasion when he is being persecuted, that the only assurance he had to a large degree was that God raised the dead. Boy, you think about that. Being persecuted so severely that your confidence and your comfort is, well, I know God's going to raise the dead, and it looks like I'm soon going to join that group. All right, gentlemen, you got about a minute. Got a comment. So, Wesley, the idea of the uh, if a man suffers a Christian, and that's what the Thessalonians were doing, don't be ashamed, but glorify God in the fact or on the account of that you can do that. That's right. And now if I suffer as an evildoer. That's a different thing. That's a different issue. See, there again, you got suffering used various ways. Same way with works. And yet the denominational world, they see the word work as a dirty, ungodly word right out of the pits of hell. Because they don't want to do it God's way. See, once you become sold on Bible authority that you got to do it God's way. Then, brother, you got to study the Bible, find out how God wants it done, love God with all your heart, and do it God's way. we got to have the attitude, Speak, Lord. Thy servant will obey. Tell me what you want. I don't know how to live this life. And in the Bible, he's telling me what he wants, and he's telling us how to live this life. Now, are we going to be so bullheaded we won't listen and lose our soul in all eternity? We hope that's not your mindset. So if you're not a child of God, why not become one today? You say, how do I do that? You hear the Word of God. You put your faith in Jesus. Repent of what Jesus says is wrong. Confess Jesus before men. Be baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, where you crucify the old man of sin to rise to walk in newness of life and Jesus will add you to his church. It's all Jesus-centered. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today. And may God richly bless you as you continue to study the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God.